Welcome to the Cardinal Newman Society podcast. I am your host, Kevin Murphy. This podcast, as you know, is devoted to promoting and defending faithful Catholic education wherever it is found. In fact, the reason we launched the podcast is not only in celebration of our 30th anniversary at the Cardinal Newman Society, but more importantly, we launched this podcast in response to what Pope Benedict XVI called an educational emergency, the urgent task of educating and forming young people amidst the day's chaos and confusion. And I think we could all agree that we are certainly living in confusing times. Now, I want to read from the letter. It's a bit unconventional, but if I'm going to talk about Pope Benedict XVI's writing, it's better for you to hear it than it is for me to summarize it. That would do it a grave injustice. Now, I remind you, this letter was written 16 years ago in January of 2008. To give you a little context, the first iPhone was introduced the year previous to this letter. The very first one. What are we on now? iPhone 15, I believe. Instagram wasn't invented as a social communication channel. That didn't come about until 2010. And I share these two tools because the iPhone and Instagram are two communication tools that have had a dramatic impact, I believe, on education. Now, back in 2008, Pope Benedict XVI used the phrase educational emergency. Now, think about all that has transpired in our world, in our culture, since that letter. If it was an emergency, an educational emergency in 2008, goodness, what is it today? By the way, Pope Francis has continued using the phrase educational emergency in his writings as well. And so I'm going to read the first several paragraphs from this letter. It is from Pope Benedict to the faithful of the diocese in the city of Rome on the urgent task of educating young people. That's the title, if you'd like to look it up. I'm sure it's on the Vatican's website. Dear faithful of Rome, I thought of addressing this letter to you in order to speak to you about a problem of which you yourselves are well aware and to which the various members of our church are applying themselves, the problem of education. We have all at heart the good of the people we love, especially our children, adolescents, and young people. Indeed, we know that it is on them that the future of our city depends, and I would say our church. Therefore, it is impossible not to be concerned about the formation of the new generations, about their ability to give their lives a direction and to discern good from evil, and about their health, not only physical, but also moral. Educating, however, has never been an easy task, and today seems to be becoming even more difficult. Parents, teachers, priests, and everyone who has direct educational responsibilities are well aware of this. Hence, there is a talk of a great educational emergency, confirmed by the failures we encounter all too often in our efforts to form sound people who can cooperate with others and give their own lives meaning. Thus, it is natural to think of laying the blame 
on the new generations, as though children born today were different from those in the past. There's also talk of a generation gap, which certainly exists and is making itself felt. But is the effect, rather than the cause, of the failure to transmit certainties and values? Must we therefore blame today's adults for no longer being able to educate? There is certainly a strong temptation among both parents and teachers, as well as educators in general, to give up since they run the risk of not even understanding what their role or rather the mission entrusted to them is. In fact, it is not only the personal responsibilities of adults or young people, which nonetheless exist and must not be concealed, that are called into question, but also a widespread atmosphere, a mindset, and form of culture which induce one to have doubt about the value of the human person, about the very meaning of truth and good, and ultimately about the goodness of life. I mean, think about that. This was written in 2008. How much more, you know, accented is this type of writing? It's incredible. It then becomes difficult to pass on from one generation to the next something that is valid and certain, rules of conduct, credible objectives around which to build life itself. Dear brothers and sisters of Rome, at this point, I would like to say some very simple words to you. Do not be afraid. In fact, none of these difficulties is insurmountable. There are, as it were, the other side, I should say, they are, as it were, the other side of the coin of that great and precious gift, which is our freedom, with the opportunity that rightly goes with it, as opposed to what happens in the technical or financial fields where today's advances can be added to those of the past, no similar accumulation is possible in the area of people's formation and moral growth because the person's freedom is ever new. As a result, each person and each generation must make his own decision anew alone. That is a powerful statement. I want to just read it one more. As a result, each person and each generation must make his own decision anew alone. Not even the greatest values of the past can simply be inherited. They must be claimed by us and renewed through an often anguishing personal option. And the last paragraph. When the foundations are shaken, however, and essential certainties are lacking, the impelling need for those values once again makes itself felt. Thus today, the request for an education which is truly such is in fact increasing. Parents, anxious and often anguished about the future of their children, are asking for it. A great many teachers going through the sorrowful experience of their schools deteriorating are asking for it. Society overall, seeing doubts cast on the very foundations of coexistence, is asking for it children and young people themselves who do not want to be left to face life's challenges on their own are also asking for it in their inmost being. 
Those who believe in Jesus Christ, moreover, have a further and stronger reason for not being afraid. They know, in fact, that God does not abandon us, that his love reaches us wherever we are and just as we are in our wretchedness and weakness in order to offer us a new possibility of good. So what is it that parents often anguish are looking for? Teachers who experience in a deteriorating Schools are asking for it. Society's asking for it. Children are asking for it. What is it? It is faithful Catholic education. Faithful Catholic education is truly on the rise right now. If you go to our website at cardinalnewmansociety.org, that's cardinal, N-E-W-M-A-N, society.org, there's a press release we shared about the growth of Newman Guide Colleges. Now, these are colleges following the church's teaching and not acquiescing to the culture. Many of these colleges are experiencing record enrollment for the very reasons Pope Benedict just shared. In 2023, the Cardinal Newman Society extended Newman Guide recommended status into the K-12 and graduate school markets. So now a family looking to make sure that their child experiences a seamless, faithful Catholic education, can go to the Cardinal Newman Society site and look and see which schools make it in the K-12, through which schools make it in colleges, and which one make it as graduate programs. Which ones make it as graduate programs? That gives you a guide unlike any other guide today. I urge you, demand faithful Catholic education in your school or college. Ask them a very simple question. Are you Newman Guide recommended? Because even the greatest values, as Pope Benedict just said, cannot simply be inherited. They must be claimed through personal action. Please consider joining us in this quest for renewing faithful Catholic education and delivering what parents are asking for, students are asking for, and our society is begging for. Please consider joining us in our renewal of faithful Catholic education. Go to cardinalnewmansociety.org or call us at 703-367-0333. Today's guest is Dr. Dan Guernsey, a 30-year veteran of Catholic education. He's a senior fellow at the Cardinal Newman Society, and he's currently launching a new master's in Catholic educational leadership at Ave Maria University in Ave Maria, Florida, a Newman Guide recommended college, by the way. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Dan, first of all, when I see somebody with credentials like you, the first thing I want to do is thank them for 30 years of being in Catholic education. So thank you for that. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I also want to back up because a lot of people want to know, how does a person get into Catholic education? And then when they get into it, what is the path that led you to where you are today? So let's let's start with some simple questions, Dan. 
Did you grow up in a in a faithfully Catholic home? I grew up in California in the uh, 70s and 80s in a typical um, Catholic home in California during that time period. So the answer is no. We we did minimal practicing, but we did not have a robust um, or thoughtful faith life. Uh, I went to Catholic schools in California as well, which were also woefully um, insufficient in catechesis. <laughs> so uh, they did a nice job of teaching the heart, but not too much on teaching the mind or really delving into the faith. So I had to wait to college before I actually encountered the richness of the Catholic faith. And that's when uh, the fire was enkindled. So you went to Catholic school K through 12? Uh, I went to, for high school. I went to Catholic school, but, but okay. again, it was it was the typical bad Catholic school environment that most people fear. Okay, <laughs> so I went through. I went through the really bad stuff. You know, we never opened a Bible in four years. We were taught to uh, uh, hate Pope John Paul II. We were taught all sorts of dig dignity came in and and preached to us in our in our classes. It was it was pretty bad. Wow. Now, okay, so. You get to college, and where did you go to college? I went to the University of San Francisco. Originally, okay. I wanted to be a, a doctor and uh, work with the homeless, and um, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and so I went to the University of San Francisco and just happened to wander into um, Father Fessio's Great Books program by accident because he claimed he could get me into medical school. Uh, if I went through his program. So I signed up and then that's when I was exposed to the glory of the Catholic faith and the beauty of the liberal arts and just a, 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 how rich life truly is. And when that happened, I mean, what was your experience like? How did you, I mean, cause you never had really understood it to that point or really been taught it. Well, all of a sudden you get exposed to it and father Fessio, God bless him for that action draws you into the program through a promise. I mean, how did that enlightenment occur? Um, I think it, it can be self-evident if, I mean, like I said, my, my high school did a good job at training the heart and keeping me open. And then when the truth was presented in its, in its clarity and beauty, it was, it was unavoidable. Uh, and so, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize that, wait a minute, I have not been given the, tr the whole truth and I had not been exposed to things I should have been exposed to as a, as a young person. And so that's what inspired me to leave medicine, uh, the study of medicine and go into the into the liberal arts. So I actually graduated as a English major and because I saw the beauty of, of literature and what it could do to uncover man's experiences and, and our place in the world. And um, I saw the richness of the liberal arts. And so I said, the world needs this. Wow. As well as that. Yeah. Now, so you graduate and you have this degree and where do you go? I, I went to India. <laughs> that was that part of me that wanted to work with the homeless. Of course, family. everybody gets a degree and goes to <laughs> India. So, yeah. So that was the part of me that said, I want to keep working in this capacity. I want to go help people. So that is, um, that's what led me to India and then to the Philippines as well for two years as I studied abroad, or not studied abroad, but worked abroad in orphanages and with the poor. Uh, and then I came back to the United States, got my master's degree in literature from UC Berkeley and my teaching credential. And then that set me up. Set another me up. another heavily, heavily Catholic institution, UC Berkeley, <laughs> right? Like I said, I'm at home in the, I'm at home in the world. <laughs> So what was your first job in Catholic education? I taught English and 
religion in inner city of Richmond, which is near Oakland. So it was kind of the uh, at a Catholic school in um, a very um, low socioeconomic status school. And and so now from that, Dan, give us a little bit about the progression. You know, you you're 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 teaching. You decided that with the faith that that teaching was something that you wanted to go into and you get that job in teaching. And then um, because I think this is the place that a lot of educators end up and then they become frustrated. Maybe maybe they have a job that isn't the greatest and they'll and they'll start to do something else. So I I enjoyed my my jobs. I I, again, as a young man and a, a newly married man. Um, I, we had to switch schools and go to Fresno, a Catholic school in Fresno to follow my wife's job because she had to pay back her scholarship as a nurse to the VA. So that brought us to Fresno. So I enjoyed the work. Um, but then my, my, you know, my challenge as a, as a young person was I have a gift for, uh, administration as well. And, uh, with a growing family, those two things came together. And so I pursued my first graduate degree in, uh, in school administration. So that, that got me into then a, the, the, the life of a principal, uh, first in small town, Ohio, and then with uh, Tom Monahan's Ave Maria Foundation. Okay, so yeah, that's interesting. So you're you had not met Tom at, at this point, right? And Correct. you were taking a job. When would, did that? Give me I, the give me the sequence for that. Yeah, that that was. I started off in a small town in Ohio near where my wife is from. And I was a principal there for several years. And then, you know, we had a, a, one of those kind of crazy pastors that kind of, uh, you know, came of age in the 60s and liked to do strange things. And so eventually when he got assigned to our parish, I, w- I was unable to work for him. Um, you know, there was the type of stuff like, you know, consecrating tortillas, store-bought tortillas at uh, school masses. Wow. And, yeah. you know, mm. The Eastern mysticism and all that stuff. It just didn't work. Um so I was looking for something else, and then I ran in through uh, my spiritual director from the University of San Francisco, uh, uh, Tom Monahan, and his Catholic Educational Enterprises. So I joined him in 2000 to do whatever he needed done in Catholic education in 30 minutes or less. Wow. And, and so tell me, though, Dan, at what point did you detect this idea of, the, of, of faithful Catholic education versus what you were experiencing in, as you said, with your pastors and things like that, where you're all of a sudden exposed to this kind of more radicalized. And how did you stay the course on faithful Catholic education? Well, I knew the, I, I knew the course and uh, I actually had an opportunity to take a, a, a job at a Catholic high school, Marin Catholic out in California, at the same time I was discerning whether to go to, or whether I was to go to Ave Maria. And I looked at Marin Catholic, which is an ideal school for me in many ways, but I knew that I didn't have the resources to turn that school around on my own. I was too young. The, the resources weren't there. I didn't know how to do it. So I, I went to Tom, the route with Tom uh, uh, in the hopes of also simultaneously pursuing a doctorate in, uh, in leadership, educational leadership and education so that I could help develop the resources that might be needed to assist in the turnaround of schools. So that is where I went that route is to, is to develop my own tools so that I could uh, fulfill that need. And over the years, while I was doing that, I came across with other groups and other groups started. 
and began networking with them through the Ave Maria Foundations, groups like NAPSIS, eventually the uh, more recent Institute for Catholic Liberal Education, and uh, the Sisters of Mary were involved with Ave Maria, Mother Sister Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. So all these networks began for, forming, the resources started coming together. And then when Ave Maria started its uh, developments here in Florida, they wanted a school. And then I looked into, or was somebody recommended me looking into doing classical education. So I got into classical education and founded Ave Maria's classical K-12 school. Which is called? Uh, the Donahue Academy. There you go. <laughs> so right here in Ave Maria. And so you've been down at Ave Maria, Florida for how long now? Uh, about, yep, since... Um, 2004. Okay. Oh, quite a while. Yeah. 19. It, going, it's an absolutely going, fantastic place to live. Yeah. 19 <laughs> years, average temperature, 84 degrees. So that's always a nice year round. Um, so, so Dan, tell, tell me this, because one of the things that, that I think, as I, as I said, for support to those Catholic educators who find themselves in a similar predicament that you are in, and that is that you're finding yourselves being very much drawn to faithful Catholic education, and then you're running into these obstacles along the way. How do how do you suggest that somebody deal with that? Because it can be very frustrating that you see a clear vision for how Catholic education can really infiltrate the culture and change the world, yeah. but you have all these obstacles in your way. I think um, a strong vision and, and life of prayer is 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 what it's about, and. I think that's essentially what we're trying to do at the Cardinal Newman. We didn't get to the point of how I got to Cardinal Newman, uh, which is after all these years of thinking and praying and doing schools and doing education and, and amassing these resources and these ideas about Catholic education, I was able to uh, be offered a position by uh, Patrick Riley with the Cardinal Newman Asso uh, Society about uh, a little over a decade ago to help develop these resources. And so that's what I've spent the last decade doing is actually really digging down deep and thinking, what do we need? What do principals need? What do teachers need? What does the church expect of us? How does this all come together? So uh, over the last decade with the Cardinal Newman, we've been thinking very deeply about this stuff, immersing ourselves in the, in the teaching of the church so that we can then go forward and assist schools. So it, it's part of that is, is, is the answer of how do you get through it? You join you start with a, a, a solid vision, you start with a solid faith life, and then you join networks of support. And so that, again, is one of the things the Cardinal Newman Society is doing is not just developing the resources, but now also expanding these networks of support, um, most clearly seen in what we do with our colleges. But now we're moving into the K-12 level, quick K-12 level as well. Yeah. So, Dan, you were instrumental coming here, as you said, almost a decade ago of taking the Cardinal Newman Society and expanding their reach into the K through 12. Now, last year we did something novel, and that is that we extended our Newman Guide recommendations into the K through 12 market. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are these things called the principles of Catholic identity and education that you helped craft. Tell me why these are important for achieving Newman Guide recommended status. Well, they're important for that. But of course, even if a non-Newman school <laughs> would benefit from these uh, th these principles, because what they are is, is when we began our work at Cardinal Newman Society in Catholic education, um, it was at the time of the Common Core. And so we took an early lead in um, 
uh, raising concerns about the Common Core. And then what we quickly came to see was it wasn't enough just to point out where education was insufficient. We had to look towards what is sufficiency. What are we supposed to be doing? Not just what are we not supposed to be doing? So um, under under uh, Patrick Riley's direction, uh, a group of us really spent some time digging deep into the church documents and guidance on education and tried to distill down what are the critical elements the church is asking of us. Because again, the idea is that it's not up to the school to determine what the mission of a Catholic school is. It's up to an individual school to determine how they embrace and and bring about the mission in their particular context. So the church has a mission for for her schools. And actually, some will say that the churches are the mission. They don't have a mission. They're actually the church at work uh, doing its mission. So we looked at, at, at these and then came up with these principles. And other people have done this as well. Father um, Archbishop Miller uh, did this as well when, with his five marks of a Catholic school. And other other scholars have done it. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we did it on our own with our own take. And so they're very, they're very similar um, articulations, but that's because the church is singing from one sheet of music about what it expects from its schools. Right, right. And, and what I want to do is I want to take each of these, okay, if we can, Dan, I want to take each of the five cool. principles of Catholic identity and education, and I want to just talk about them briefly. Sure. Because as I said, as you said, there, there are, they are similar uh, to what Archbishop Miller had uh, had previously done, but I also think there's some really beautiful, subtle nuances uh, that the Cardinal Newman Society offers, uh, which which does differentiate a bit. Yes, so I let's. Think we, I, yeah, I think we benefit from our um, experience with just all sorts of schools and and networking to to see how the church's guidance uh, get enfleshed in the. Uh, Catholic schools that are that are doing their best under difficult circumstances. So, yeah. So, in, in general, the 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 five ideas are um, that the church that the schools are inspired by a divine mission. That's the first one that okay. we're we're out there evangelizing and bringing about God's kingdom, mm-hmm. and that we do this. The second principle has to do with uh, modeling Christian community, uh, and this is one of the things. Uh, which was really relevatory to us, I think, as we were going to through the documents, is how much and how important community matters to the life of a Catholic school and to its mission. And then the third is is what was most uh, reasonable to most people is there's prayer and sacraments right. <laughs> present in the school. So there's images and things like that. Uh, the fourth is uh, integral formation, which is basically the uh, understanding that the human person is an integral mind, body, soul um, uh, uh uh, unit that that only comes in one way, only comes together in one united uh, person, and then the and then the last element, the fifth element, is imparting this Catholic worldview, this 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 framework for interpreting reality. So those are in, in general the five things that the schools are supposed to be doing. So Dan, let's break those down because, um, as I said, there's incredible depth. I think with each one of these points. And as I mentioned earlier, as we are extending ourselves into the K through 12 arena by building up the reservoir of intellectual tools, if you will, we, we, we call them the tools for renewal mm-hmm. um, that could be offered to anybody at any time. They can take a look at themselves and see where they are. These are critical, um, you know, uh, th- these five are probably the most critical for somebody moving more towards being Newman Guide recommended. So let's let's right. go through it. You said the first one was inspired by divine mission. Now, 
the one thing I want to make sure we're doing is for those educators, we're making this translated into their common, you know, vernacular as well. Yes. So help me understand what does that mean? But to be inspired by a divine mission, sure. what does that mean? But sure. But first, first to your point about making it understandable to uh, to busy educators, that is essentially what we are trying to do. We are working as boundary spanners between the church documents and the intellectual tradition. Mm. And the and the work uh, worker in the field who says, "I get it, I'm on board," but you know, get me the bullet points because I've got to go run a fire <laughs> drill and the toilet's leaking, and I've got an upset parent. But just help me. Um, get that's exactly the Dan. That's exactly why you're so critical in this thing because <laughs> you've been there. When you say that, oh, yeah. you probably say that at a jest because you've done it, right? Oh, yeah. Many, many years, many years. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege. It's, it's like being a busy parent. You don't have time to necessarily read all the parts of Familiaris Consortium. Right. You might be able to do so on a retreat, but sometimes it's good just to have somebody remind you, hey, listen, here's, here's a couple of things to focus on. So this first one is actually the, you know, the most important. So what we're looking at in these, in these principles is it's not everything Catholic schools do, but it's the particular things that make a Catholic school different from a public school, from a charter school, from a private school, from a Lutheran school. It's what are these particular things that we can point to, that these are the things we we need to make sure we do. So obviously this first one is that we have to remember that we're engaged in the divine mission. Hmm. And what this focuses in is the divine mission, the great commission is to go make disciples of all nations, teaching everything that, that Christ has commanded us. That's from the end of the gospel of Matthew. So that's the great commission. And this is what the schools do. So again, the fundamental point being that we don't open up Catholic schools um, in order to, uh, because the public schools aren't good enough at academics or athletics or discipline. I mean, that's not what we're doing. The, the, the reason the schools are open, opening is because it's it, we are compelled to by this command of Christ to make disciples of all nations. And schools are very privileged and helpful environments in which to form uh, Catholic young people and build Catholic culture. Now, we have to say it's, uh, up front, they're not the only environments. In fact, they're not the normal environment for building the church. The Catholic schools, as we see them today, have only been around for 150 years. So the vast majority of Catholic evangelization happens through the parish, through the community, through the family. So we're not trying to to overcome that with Catholic schools, but in the modern context, with the complexities of modern education, Catholic education is uniquely suited to move into the field of evangelization with this divine commission of, of uh, making disciples. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we are communi uh, educational communities of evangelization. So that evangelization piece is what is missing. It's a central piece that's missing from so much of Catholic education today. We're going to take a quick break. In the meantime, listen to our friend, Dr. Tim Collins, president of Walsh University. You know, in large measure, what has happened in the domain of higher education is it's turned into a block of wood. They're all the same. And I think what the Cardinal Newman Society recognizes is actually in Catholic higher education, we are a block of Swiss cheese. We might be cut differently, we might emphasize different kinds of things, but essentially we're still cheese. 
And so maintaining that tradition, being faithful to what's worked. I tell people all the time, you know, during the French Revolution, it was probably a tough time in Catholic education. So far, I don't see Robespierre. I don't see guillotines in the streets at the 4th of July parade. But if we're faithful to what it was established for and how we do it, then I'm quite sure we're going to make it another 934 years. Nothing else has lasted that long. So Walsh University is particularly thankful to Cardinal Newman Society for what you do in helping us to maintain that tradition, that faithful, authentic tradition, as we prepare our students for their careers, for their life, and most importantly, for their life's purpose. When you think of the number of K-12 through schools out there, according to organizations, different data today, there's about 5,900 of them. So when you look at this, there's so many that people encounter that experience mission drift. Yeah. And, and even in Pope Benedict's writings, he sometimes reminds us that people have lost the vision for what their mission is in the first place. Right. Right. And so that's why I think this is so important, this divine mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, a, one of Pope, my favorite statements from Pope Benedict when he spoke to American Catholic educators was he said, first and foremost, every Catholic educational institution is a place to encounter the living God. Right. That's it. It says first and foremost, that's what our schools are supposed to be doing. That's why we're open in the first place. So basically, I mean, in a nutshell, what, what's ha- what happened to many schools in the United States is that, um, you know, in, through the 20s to the 60s, uh, most Catholic ch- children are going to Catholic schools and they were united typically to the parish and they were typically free and subsidized. But then that changed in the 60s due to a number of circumstances, not the least of which was um, Catholics being mainstreamed in the, into the culture uh, post John Kennedy. And uh, the schools were, the public schools were seen as less of a threat to the Catholic uh, well-being of children. And so, uh, and the suburbs were, were growing. And so Catholic families just drifted into the local public schools, which were relatively non-obnoxious at that point. And then the Catholic schools started to become expensive because they lost their clergy, uh, the religious uh, yes. sisters. And so then we were left with substandard Catholic schools, which were poorly funded and um, poorly set in their identity when the religious left. And then so at schools needed to do to survive was they needed to become more elite institutions. So that's when they said, we're going to be elite in sports. We're going to be elite in academics. We're going to be elite in discipline. Uh, And then that's going to help us market our school so that we can stay afloat so that then hopefully we can then evangelize and do the other things. But the challenge is with that eliting, you know, this let's become a blue ribbon school type of thing. Then the mission gets watered down. And then the idea of becoming evangelical enterprises gets watered down because if we need to increase the tuition base and and attract non-Catholics who can pay high tuition, then then not that we need to get rid of the mission, but maybe we just want to not mention that as much. And I think yes. where we're at right now at, at, at this, this stage in, in American history is that we've seen that now we have to go back to our identities to survive. It doesn't, it's not worth surviving without it. Yeah, Dan, that's, that's well said because I think so many things you just, you, you, you could obviously have been in this your entire life. So you're encapsulating history very quickly about the development of the Catholic Church and the obstacles that have been uh, have been encountered in Catholic education since, say, mid-60s or so. And a lot of these 
institutions have wrestled with figuring out how they market themselves. It used to be enough to be open to be a Catholic school to be distinct. Then the Catholic schools seem to mimic or copy um, public institutions. And that still is the case today. Would, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. There's a temptation to say, we're going to prove we're better by out-publicing the public schools. Right. This is what happened when the Common Core came on online, is Catholic schools you know, made a, a determination that because the Common Core was the wave of the future, that they were going to have to be better at it than the public schools. And that was a that was a mistake that that, that uh, Catholic education made, and Cardinal Newman Society was there to uh, remind the the, the the Catholic schools, we, no, we can do more. And that's when we came out with our Catholic curriculum standards to say, no, we don't, you know, we're not just following public school standards. We do more. There's more that we do, and that our, our Catholic curriculum standards help point the direction towards that. So, but, 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 but to your point, we can't just, the goal here is not to mimic or be better public schools. The goal is to be evangelical educational communities. If we're not doing that, we're not being true to our mission. Beautiful. And before we move on, just in the essence of time, yeah. the, the divine mission, how can, how can a person engaged in Catholic education on a daily basis remind themselves of this dan i mean how do you how do you you know make sure that this is something um that you you continue to keep front and center as you work in a catholic education environment yeah i think um some schools have a sign i, I we used to have it at one of my schools it was um you know christ is the reason for the school he's the center of all of its activities he's the he's the model of its students and he's the model teacher so this the idea of centering our efforts on the person of Jesus Christ, and then, and then, and then, you know, with Him comes the Holy Spirit to guide our events, and with Him come praise of the Father in in uh, the, the prayer and liturgical life of the school. But again, going back to that focus on Jesus, that we are disciples, that we are here living our life uh, in this in this capacity. Now, when we get to the other principles, we'll talk about kind of how we do that. But but the fundamental thing we're doing is spreading the good news that Jesus loves us and came and died for our sins and has redeemed us. And that's, that's just wonderfully good news. And we want to bring that into not only to our, the children in our schools, but as we're examining the academic topics in our schools, we're, as we're going through history and literature, we're, we're doing it. We're going to talk about this later with some of the principles. We're doing it through this lens of the gospel and man's, the, the, the drama of redemption. But the yeah. schools are part of it. You see, we're actually part of this redemptive uh, milieu and environment. It's what we do, so it's very exciting. Excellent, Dan. So, so we'll let's let's go on to our other four remaining um, principles. So, sure. again, just to recap, inspired by divine mission and recognizing that need for evangelization should be embedded to every single thing we do within a Catholic education environment. So, number two. Okay. You had oh, said, let, me, let me just go back because I don't want to yeah. miss another part of this. Please, I mean, this, yes. this this divine mission that we have, right, is is evangelization is 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 part of it, but also part of that evangelization is service. So mm. this idea that that 
as as disciples and uh, and as we work with our students we are after their eternal salvation but we're also in service to the world it is also part of ensuring the common good of the school uh, the common good of the world so it, it's the it's the it's the good of the student and the ultimate good of the student is his or her salvation in Christ, uh, their life in Christ. And it's also the salvation or the common good of the world. So we're, we're, we're doing, we're also serving the world through this education that we provide. The common good um, is being advanced both, both in its uh, more secular components, but also that the common good requires uh, disciples being out there um, serving others and, and bringing the good news and just goodness to the world. Good, good. Excellent. So number two, you had said is, is to model Christian community. And you emphasize this idea of the need, and it became more and more apparent as you started to develop these principles of the need for community. Tell us about number two. Yeah, it's not just the need of community, it's the dynamics of community. So, um, and when, when you think about this, it makes sense because, you know, all of, all of creation and all of reality stems from the communion of the Trinity, right? It's the love of the Trinity uh, that is fecund and that gives birth to all that is. Ultimately, that is everything in the universe and then, you know, you and I and the students in front of us. So this idea uh, of, of, of the unity of, of um, human experience is absolutely central, but it all comes back to this love of the Trinity, and the Trinity is about union and communion. And so when we look at Catholic educational institutions, all schools are communities. Every school has or wants to develop some type of community, but we are doing our schools in a different type of communion and community. We're actually an ecclesial community. We're, we're actually part of the Catholic Church. We are the Catholic Church in action, operating in the capacity as a school. So it's not just, a, you know, once you get a bunch of people together in a school with mascots and games and traditions and all that, yeah, you get community, but there's a different degree of the communion that's happening in these Catholic schools. So it's coming into this idea of centering on the Trinity and on the experience of man's relationship with each other and with the universe and with God that this communion begins to develop. And we understand this community and this communion at a, at a deeper level because it's rooted in the church, which is communion and community, but it also begins in the family. So Catholic schools are uniquely committed to this idea that the parents are the primary educators of their children, that we begin, we, the professional educators, begin our interaction with the, with the students through and with the parents. And we remain, all of our efforts remain in that communion with the parents so that we're not violating that aspect. At the same time, the parents can turn to the church in communion because the parents themselves need a community to help raise their children. Parents can't save their own children. Parents' children are saved through Christ, through his church. So the, the family alone it, uh, you, know, you know, can't save the save their children. They need the church. And of course, you don't have to have the school to get to the church. You get to the church through the parish. But again, when the school as an ecclesial community enters into that relationship, man, you have suddenly a really powerful support to surround that child who was born for community in an environment of family, church, and school that just really becomes fecund. You know, it's to me, Dan, this is something that I think has 
I don't know whether people have increasingly used the language of the family for a number of things today. I mean, if you watch a a professional football game, they talk about their family, which is the team. I drive down um, uh, a a little side note. I also live in Ave Maria, uh, not that far from Dan, but as you drive down one of the public schools, has a sign out front that has has it on their fence that says family, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of of family, it seems like everybody wants to grasp for that. Sure. But there's something unique and different about the family, as, as I think it was Pope John Paul II that talked about the family as the footprint to the Trinity. Yes, and this is something yeah. you're you're alluding to. Yes, yes. I mean, the, 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 the first part of your point is that, yes, all human beings yearn for communion and community. And that's because of who we are, as we, we, we only fully understand, understand ourselves when we're, when we're in communion with, with others. Um, and we're only fully ourselves when we're in communion with others, right? That's why God didn't make us alone and just stick us on our own little stars. We weren't created right. like angels. We were created right. in, these, in this community. But there, there is this idea of the family as the, as the first cell of the social community, and with you know with with the families disintegrating so sadly in our in our in our current society, um, folks are reaching for analogs, and I get it. And we have to appreciate that and and help folks reach for as much family as they can find. But our first responsibility is to try to raise intact families that don't then need an analog because they can actually better model that experience in their own. Re- existential reality surrounding that kid. Now, that, sadly, that's not always the case, mm. but we do as much as we can. So when Catholic schools are functioning as an ecclesial community, we can hopefully reach those broken families with with more supports and a more comprehensive um, environment in which to in which to undo the 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 pains and 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 hurt that comes through broken human relationships because we are meant for communion, but we find ourselves in brokenness. So Dan, the um, the first two then uh, again, just to kind of reiterate this, inspired by divine mission, then modeling Christian communion. The third one you mentioned seems oh, like I, the one. Go I'm ahead. I'm not going to let you off the hook yet, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> A couple more things on this communion. Like I said, there were these were revelations to me because I've been involved in Catholic education all my life, but really only still just learning <laughs> to do this stuff. Sure. Um, but one of the other. Um, uh, in, you know, important things about that communion is 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 that we're not just in communion with with the community, but we are in communion with the church. Mm. So this again goes back to that that idea that why does Catholic schools exist? Because we're the we are the church doing its mission. So the Catholic school has to remember that it is in communion with the church, both the local church and the universal church and of course the church triumphant and the church suffering as well as the church militant so this it's important for the, the students to appreciate that and the teachers and the community to realize uh, community to realize that it's embedded in this uh community of the church because that will make all the liturgical practices and feast days and saint days and everything else make sense it puts it in the right context the other critical thing that um, was, was really important for our, the work we do in the Cardinal Newman Society was understanding that because we are a commu- uh, because being a part of a community and being in communion is so essential 
to the mission of Catholic education, that that helps understand why folks who have deliberately broken that communion and broken that community are not appropriate leaders of a Catholic school experience. So it's kind of a hard thing to come to, but it helps make sense. Like why can we not have somebody who has left the Catholic faith as a teacher in our schools, Mm -hmm. apart from some incredibly mitigating circumstance, because that breaks this idea of communion and community that we're trying to form both with each other and with the church. So if there's somebody who has rejected that communion, then there would be a lack there that needs to be filled. If we have a a teacher who is living a life that is um, uh, where their life uh, is, is in the personal practices are not in accord with Catholic teaching and Catholic community and communion, we can see why it's not an, it's not an appropriate position for them to feel, to fill anymore. So we're not getting rid of or asking these people to leave the Catholic teaching profession or administrative profession because they're, uh, because they're sinners, because we're all sinners. But because if there are, if, if there's not this attempt to come back into communion and live a life of communion with the church, even though we fail, then that would be an insufficient um, relationship and also a poor role model for the students as we're trying to model communion. So this kind of gets to that important part about why it's so important that teachers and administrators be um, uh, uh, models and, 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 and examples of that community. Because we can have broken students and broken families who are struggling with the community as the organization that's providing the communion need to be in all people are trying to reach that same level of, of community and community. Dan, how many schools do you feel, I mean, that you think can grasp, not can grasp, but do grasp the concepts that we're speaking of? I think most people get it intuitively. We just know there's something wrong. Like, like let's just speak, you know, frankly, if, if there is a teacher comes out as, uh, you know, entering a homosexual relationship, a Catholic school teacher, can they remain as a Catholic school teacher? And then the visceral response of most parents is that something that's not right about that. Right. And the question is, well, why isn't it? Right? And so what we're trying to do is understand the terminology so that we're not just saying, well, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Well, yes, it doesn't feel right, but it isn't right because the, the teacher is supposed to be modeling discipleship and modeling communion with the church and faithfulness to its, its teaching and its magisterium and its commandments. And, and, that, and it's just trying to do that. So obviously, uh, you know, I fail in it all the time. But I'm trying and I, and, I, and I make amends and I come back and say, I understand the church has this path that it's set out for me. and I'm going to keep trying to be better at it. But for somebody who said definitively, you know what, the church is wrong. I don't agree with it. We just have to agree to disagree. Uh, your role as a teacher is compromised uh, because you're not in communion with the church. You're, you're doing something slightly different. And our children, you know, need the fullness being presented to them as much as possible as sinners that we are. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about how you can help promote and defend faithful Catholic education, go to cardinalnewmansociety.org. Also, if you're interested in promoting and defending faithful Catholic education wherever it is found, subscribe to the Cardinal Newman Society podcast. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>